0: Hey everyone, Kirk Hamilton here to introduce another Strong Songs recast. This one is an episode I first published in 2020, focusing on the great Annie Lennox and her hit 1992 single, Walking on Broken Glass. This song has always seemed kind of like a quintessential Strong Song to me, in some ways that are hard to define, but some that kind of make sense. Like, it's a pop song that most people have heard, it's really famous, but it was created with more craft and care than some people who have heard it might have realized. I had a lot of fun picking it apart, and I still kind of want to do a bonus episode sometime about Lennox's song Little Bird, because that song is super good as you will be reminded if you listen to this episode alright I won't go on too long up here at the top I do want to note that since this episode is from a few years ago you'll hear me reference some outdated email addresses and stuff like that in the episode so just keep that in mind and of course fortunately this song remains as timeless as ever thank you all so much as always for listening to Strong Songs I as you probably know have been taking a much needed break after making 100 episodes of the show I'm focusing on some creative projects recharging my jets and I'll have some cool stuff to share even while I do all of that. Actually, in the Patreon bonus feed today, there's a new really cool interview that I did with Emily Reese, really just a kind of relaxed, far-ranging conversation about a variety of musical topics. She's a fellow music podcaster, the host of Level with Emily, and just a good hang, a fun person to talk to. I'll actually put that episode in the main feed a little ways down the road, but if you'd like to hear it now, along with a bunch of older little bonus episodes that I've made, go to patreon.com slash strong songs and sign up to become a patron of the show. You can also find a link for one-time donations, links to the show discord, social media, the merch store, newsletter, a whole bunch of other stuff down in the show notes. Okay, that's enough from me. I hope you enjoy or re-enjoy this analysis of Walking on Broken Glass by the great Annie Lennox. a string quartet typically consists of two violins a viola and a cello that's not to be confused with a wind quintet which typically has a flute an oboe a clarinet a french horn and a bassoon then of course there's a brass quintet which is two trumpets trombone horn and tuba or a jazz quintet which can pretty much be made up of five musicians playing whatever instruments they want the strong songs a podcast about music i'm your host kirk hamilton and as always i'm so glad that you've joined me to talk about music made by piano trios barbershop quartets brass quintets jazz sextets string septets and sometimes octets nonets, and beyond we're going to be talking about a song with a great string arrangement in it and i'm very excited to dig in so find a comfortable place to sit turn up the volume and enjoy the show Back when I was in school, I played in a really cool modern jazz nonet that was basically just um, the horns. It was like a jazz rhythm section with enough horns to make it nine players. And I remember once when I was in high school playing a piece that was written for a saxophone octet, which was kind of two saxophone quartets, if I recall correctly. But um, the piece was actually arranged for all eight saxophones, which was pretty cool. Also, when I was in music school, I played in a fantastic uh, saxophone quartet, which is usually a bari, alto, tenor, and soprano soprano saxophone and man saxophone quartet music is really cool it was a great exercise for us we formed a new group when I was a senior actually of more advanced players and played some pretty advanced sax quartet repertoire for people like Dave Liebman and Jim McNeely some really hip stuff that was very fun and when you're playing in a sax quartet you've kind of got to fly on your own you don't have a rhythm section to rely on so you really have to have your time and your intonation together it's a great way for horn players to get their stuff together and sort of declare their independence from the rhythm section. We don't need you for grooves and for harmony. We can do grooves and harmony just fine on our own. Mm ¶¶ What you're hearing right now is actually the Miami Saxophone Quartet. This is their arrangement of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. The Miami Saxophone Quartet is a fantastic group and actually features two of my former University of Miami professors, saxophone professor Gary Keller on soprano sax and my wonderful former arranging professor Gary Lindsay on the alto saxophone. (laughs) ¶¶ So, welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks to everyone who's been starting to listen to the show, who's been spreading the word. We've had a couple of nice mentions in the media lately, and that's been really nice just because it brings new people to the show, and that always makes me very happy. It feels good to spread music and to sort of encourage more people to listen to music more deeply. So, uh, yeah, thanks to everybody who spread the word. As always, you can support me making this show on Patreon at patreon.com slash strong songs. This is an entirely listener-supported show. Thank you so, so, so much much to all of my patrons. You can as always find half and whole note patrons down in the show notes. And I really I just appreciate every single person who has signed up for whatever length of time you were able to do it for. You are the reason that I am able to devote the amount of time to this show that I think it deserves. And I just you know there aren't really words for it, so just thank you. I love hearing from listeners, and you can always shoot me an email at strongsongspodcast at gmail.com if you have music recommendations. Love to hear those if you have questions for a QA episode, which we'll be doing another one of those in another couple episodes from now. And or just, you know, want to write in for any reason really. Also, a little announcement, Strong Songs now has a Twitter account. I decided it couldn't hurt to start one, and I actually managed to get at Strong Songs on Twitter, which somehow wasn't taken. So I feel pretty cool about that. Not totally sure what i'm going to do with it but you can follow that at strong songs and of course if you want to get in touch with me through social media i am on twitter at kirk k-i-r-k hamilton and i'm also on instagram at kirk underscore hamilton last piece of business to get to before we get into this episode strong song is a playlist there is a new strong songs playlist that's actually kind of an old strong songs playlist so let me try to explain Basically, I made a year one Strong Songs playlist that was just the songs that were um, featured on this show in the first year. At the same time, I had a kind of ongoing playlist that I'd been updating that had all the songs from Strong Songs, as well as all my music picks from my other podcast, which at the time was called Kotaku Split Screen. I have since stopped doing that podcast. I'm no longer doing music picks from that. So that playlist is now no longer going to be updated. It has a whole bunch of really great music, or at least music that I really like on it. And I know a lot of you subscribe to it. So that playlist isn't going anywhere, but I'm not going to update it anymore. So instead, I'm taking that Strong Songs year one playlist and I am converting it into a just overall Strong Songs playlist. And it will be a playlist of every single song that's ever gotten its own episode on Strong Songs. So that'll be year one songs and year two songs, and I'm just going to keep updating that kind of forever. So that will be, from this point on, the Strong Songs playlist that will have all the Strong Songs, and it'll be a cool thing to go listen to if you've listened to every episode of the show, just because each song that you hear will have gotten its own episode of Strong Songs. So you can find a link to that in the show notes, and I will put a link to that in the show notes of every subsequent episode. All right, let's get into it. This episode, Strong Song, is one of those songs that I think is kind of under-appreciated, Appreciated. It is a fantastic pop tune by an incredible singer, incredible songwriter, that I know people probably know academically is a good song, but I kind of bet that a lot of you haven't listened to it super closely, at least not recently, because man, is it a good song. Now while this song is defined by its lyrics and by its vocals, it's sung wonderfully and the woman who sings it is a great singer, I actually think the defining element of this song isn't a vocal part at all, it's a piano part. Specifically, it's this piano part. What? Does that ring a bell? Are you having a fever dream memory of the early 1990s? Is it taking you right back? Well, maybe if we took the piano part and the other thing that makes it magic, and that is, of course, the string section. You've got it now for sure, right? Come on, sure you do. First comes the piano. Then the strings. And then it's time for the vocals to take it away. Walking on, broken Walking on, broken, glass. Mm-hmm. Walking on, walking on broken glass. Yes, on this episode, we're going to be talking about the one and only Annie Lennox and her very strong song, Walking on Broken Glass.
1: You were the sweetest thing that I had.
0: I don't care for sugar either if it means I can't have in-depth musical analyses of really really good 90s pop songs and that is exactly what we are going to be doing on this episode. Annie Lennox is one of those artists who kind of defined my childhood in a way that I didn't really even fully realize was happening until much after the fact when it occurred to me that her songs and just how good they were, it really stuck with me even when I was too young to fully understand how good the music I was listening to was. When I was, you know, 10, 12 years old, I wasn't that aware of who I was listening to a lot of the time. I was only just starting to have this kind of budding awareness that different artists made different songs. But I certainly didn't know that the woman who was the lead singer for the Eurythmics and made that amazing song that I liked several years earlier also was the woman who wrote this song, Walking on Broken Glass, the song that got stuck in my head when at age 12 I first heard it on the radio. But it made an impression. It stuck with me. That piano part, that string part, the syncopation, the the riff, the whole thing. It just, in the nearly 30 years since I first heard it, I've never fully gotten that riff out of my head. And I remember having the thought, way, way back in the day when I was very little, I still remember thinking, this song is really good, isn't it? This song has something special. There's something to it that I really, really like. And I still feel that way all these years later. I hadn't listened to Annie Lennox in a really focused way in quite some time, and I was actually planning on doing something else for this episode up until a couple of weeks ago when I changed my mind. And you know, it's easy to just find yourself in a funk these days. It's a a really difficult time in the world, and I think I just sort of found myself in a funk. I was thinking a lot about artists who had died, about heroes of mine, musical heroes who had died, and I suddenly just heard that piano part in my head kind of out of nowhere, which actually happens to me kind of a fair amount of the time. It's just such a great little little piano part, and I've, it's always stuck with me. And I heard it, and I thought, wait a minute, what about that song? And I went back and listened to it, and sure enough, it's an incredible song, and I had a million ideas, a million things that I wanted to talk about and kind of highlight and share with all of you. you. So we've got so much to talk about from syncopation to pop arranging to the way that this song is laid out to the sort of contrasts between different parts of the verse to the cool harmonies that she's using, the vocal techniques, the backup vocals, all kinds of things. This is a really dense and really neat arrangement that's going to be super fun to pick apart. First up, Vital Stats. Walking on Broken Glass is the second track on Annie Lennox's debut as a solo artist. It's an album called Diva from 1992 that I really recommend listening to. It's super good. I've been giving it a pretty strong listen over the last few weeks as I've been working on this episode. And man, it's a really cool record. It was produced by Steven Lipson, who's a great record producer. And he just, he kind of brought a lot of cool ideas into the studio with him. And they made a lot of very interesting soundscapes for these songs. There were two other big hit singles on this record. The first one is Why, which is actually the opening track, and I'm sure you know it. A Scottish singer-songwriter, Annie Lennox is known as a very good piano player and a really good writer, but also as a really powerful singer. She has an incredible voice, and that voice is very much on display throughout this whole album.
1: How many times do I have to try?
0: Another big hit off of Diva is called Little Bird, and I this song I had kind of forgotten about until I listened to the album all the way through for the first time and heard it. This song has a killer groove, and I actually almost changed course and decided to do an episode about it, but then uh, I decided to stick with Walking on Broken Glass" and in the end that is still my favorite track from this album, but man, Little Bird is a great tune with a great groove on it. It's a really, really good song. It goes to a lot of cool places. Totally worth giving it a listen. Um, And it all comes back to that kind of kick drum synth groove that they keep coming back to, that boom, 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 boom. which actually kind of calls back to the big Annie Lennox song that a lot of you probably know, but that some of you might not actually know, was sung and co-written by Annie Lennox. And that, of course, is this song. Yes, Annie Lennox was one half of the 80s new wave duo Eurythmics and sang and co-wrote their hit single Sweet Dreams, Sweet dreams. are made of these Sweet Dreams
1: Who am I to
0: released in 1983, Sweet Dreams Are Made of This was co-written by Annie Lennox and her Eurythmics partner and bandmate Dave Stewart. It was a huge hit. It was also almost the song that I talked about on this episode. And that's partly because of that thing that I mentioned earlier, the way that Annie Lennox kind of stealthily defined my childhood. Sweet Dreams Are Made of This was a huge song for me and for my sister. Um, We would talk about this song all the time. We had made up lyrics to it that, uh, that lined up with the Transformers. Something along the lines of, Sweet Dream's Omega Supreme. And we loved this song. It was on all the time. And it wasn't until much later that I connected the dots that Annie Lennox was the singer in Eurythmics and that the woman whose voice I had heard so many times singing that song was also the woman whose voice I was hearing singing these new songs in the 1990s and beyond. Lennox is a wonderful and fascinating person. She's had an amazing life. She's a super involved activist. She's an incredible musician, just a really cool person overall. I encourage you to learn more about her if you can and to watch videos of her performing as well because she's an incredible performer. She has great stage presence, so much power, and it's really, really fun to watch her do her thing. So the Eurythmics broke up in 1990. It was time for Annie Lennox to go solo and she released Diva. and there in 1992, she also released The Piano Part. That would be stuck in my head for the next 30 years. So let's get into it. Let's take apart and put back together Annie Lennox's Walking on Broken Glass. big things that I want to talk about with this song is the way that it uses contrast in um, harmony and in rhythm to create sort of different textures as the song moves through different sections. It uses that contrast really quickly and really deftly. This is a very deft song. It's very dexterous. And uh, it's really cool if you kind of focus in on what each of those sections is doing as it develops. The two songs that I've talked about on Strong Songs that I feel like are closest to Walking on Broken Glass are Madonna's Like a Prayer and Paul Simon's You Can Call Me Al. Madonna's Like a Prayer is a study in contrasts as well. If you remember from that episode, the verses are this wide open place. The chorus goes to this much tighter, funkier groove and it all lets the song kind of tell a story in a certain way, like a musical narrative that's pretty neat. Meanwhile, You Can Call Me Al is all built out of this one riff, this one little chord progression that's actually kind of similar to the one riff and the one chord progression that uh, sort of centers Walking on Broken Glass. That's the, the centerpiece of the whole song. So in some ways this episode will be a continuation of an analysis of some of the ideas from those episodes. It'll work just kind of in concert with those episodes. You don't have to have listened to them or anything to appreciate that. But if you haven't listened to every episode of Strong Songs and you want to listen to some more that kind of get into similar ideas to the ones we're going to be talking about today, those are two great places to start. Speaking of great places to start, let's start with that piano riff because that is the thing in this song, in Walking on Broken Glass, that ties the whole endeavor together. It's a pretty simple chord progression, but what makes it cool is the way that Lennox plays it on the piano and also the way that it is subdivided rhythmically because it's a pretty syncopated figure and it adds a kind of a bounce to this song that is otherwise actually a pretty sad song when you listen to the lyrics. So this song is in the key of C and this riff is built out of a very simple chord progression. It just goes like 1, 1, 4, 1, 4, 1, 1, 5, 5. You can think of it that way. Um, It's C, F, and G, which are the three kind of most common chords for a pop song in the key of C. So it's not like reinventing the wheel when it comes to the harmony. Of course, as anyone who has listened to the Strong Songs bonus episode about rhythm and harmony, which all of you should, uh, as anyone who's listened to that episode knows, uh, the harmony is only one half of the story. The rhythm is the other half, and the rhythm is what makes this song work. Now, it's also cool what Lennox plays specifically on the piano, which we'll get to in a moment, but let's just play those chords in the rhythm that she plays plays them in. Okay, so it's got a nice bounce to it. The reason for that is a word that I used a little bit earlier, syncopation, which basically means when a musical figure has a lot of upbeats. It can mean a few different things. Like It can mean that the the music is deceptive. It's making you think the upbeat is the downbeat. In this case, it's not very deceptive. It starts firmly on the downbeat on one. It's more that it's just very uh, upbeat heavy, especially in the second half of the phrase, and that gives it this nice bounce. Let me play it again, and this time I'll count along. Here we go. One, two, three, four. 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 So as you can hear at the beginning there, I'm on the downbeats and I'm counting at the same time as I'm playing piano, but then in the second half of the phrase, I'm counting and the piano is happening when I'm not counting because it's happening on an upbeat. The rhythm is one, two, and three, and four, and one, and two, and three, and four, and it gives it that kind of upbeat lilt to it. So that's central to the groove on this song, is that syncopation, the way that the riff is syncopated. I also really like what Lennox plays specifically on the piano. Let me recreate that for you now. Here is my best approximation of Annie Lennox's piano part from Walking Under broken glass it took me a while to learn this and it was actually pretty fun to learn so here's what i make of the piano part which is pretty close to what she's playing So I'm not going to break the whole thing down for you, but essentially what she's doing is moving a lot in octaves. She's playing her right hand is playing this riff kind of doubled in octaves between her thumb and her pinky, which is a pretty common thing that piano players like to do because it gives more body to really high notes on the piano. If I just play that riff with the highest notes being played, they're very high. It's like the highest notes on the piano. They're pretty thin and they don't really come across that strongly. Listen to this. So that's pretty thin, but if you add an octave underneath it, it sounds much stronger. So playing in octaves is a very common thing that piano players do for that reason. You'll hear that you're kind of just hearing the lower note. It almost feels like it's like a low note with just a a kind of bright hat on, and that bright hat is those very, very high notes uh, up at the very top of the piano. Because when you think about how a piano works, it's a hammer hitting a string. Those strings are teeny tiny you know they're very little they're the little strings in the piano they don't have a lot of room to vibrate the way that the big low strings or even the middle strings on a piano do so they're just it's a littler string it just doesn't make as much noise So with all that in mind, let's listen to Annie Lennox herself play the introduction to this song and pay attention to the counting, pay attention to what the piano is, is doing, all those different notes that are playing in octaves. And also listen for how the counting is just a little bit different the first time that she plays the phrase from the second and then subsequent times that she plays it. It's a little thing, but I just love the way that she displaces that last beat the first time that she plays it on piano. She waits for it and puts it on that downbeat. Mm. It's so good. It really like just emphasizes how kind of bouncy and upbeat-centric the rest of the phrase is. So put that last one just a little bit later. And then, of course, every subsequent time they play it, they play both of those downbeats together. so very cool rhythmically and also cool in terms of the arrangement just the way that the string section comes in i love the way the strings are recorded on this i'm not sure exactly what the instrumentation on the string section is or whether it's overdubbed but it's just got that nice really punchy string sound where they're really attacking very uh very crisply on the strings which gives it a nice bounce that i really like this is a common sound in pop music and i think it sounds really good So Lennox's vocals come in there, and speaking of octaves, she's actually doubling her vocal part there in octaves as well. I think there's actually more than just two tracks, there's maybe a doubled part on the lower octave, but it's actually a similar thing to what she's doing on the piano, because that very high part that she's singing,
1: Walking on, walking on,
0: on it's pretty high I mean obviously it's higher for me than it would be for her but it's pretty high but if you sing it doubled and you sing it down the octave as well it's very similar where you focus on the down octave sound but it's like it's wearing this bright little hat okay here we go
1: Walking on, walking on broken glass.
0: Nice sound, right? It's commonly used by a lot of people who do overdubs from like metal bands to Elliott Smith to the Shins, and it's a nice vocal sound. It's subtle, but it really does add a nice little high end to the vocals. Listen to Annie do it. She sounds a lot better than I do, so listen to her and pay attention for that. Try to hear that thin, little, nice, high uh, overdubbed vocal part that's singing up the octave. Broken Enter the beat. So in addition to the drums, one important instrument that comes in there is the bass, which is pretty simple. It's a pretty straightforward bass part on this track. It just plays through that ascending uh, little bass line, kind of following along with the strings and, of course, following along with the piano. Now this song is using programmed drums, so it's not a real drummer. It's a pretty straightforward groove. It works really well for the song, I think. Um, it's some kind of 808 or something, some kind of drum machine. And to do the strong song's thump, pop, sizzle, breakdown. Uh, this is a simple one. The thump is just coming from a kick drum down on the bottom. The sizzle is mostly provided by a kind of tambourine sound that you'll hear over on the left. Though sometimes there is also a hi hat sound that'll break things up coming in over on the right. And the pop is provided by kind of a sampled snare. Air, as well as a big hand clap. This song is all about uh, the sort of deployment of that hand clap to to raise the energy level or to get the groove really going. So we have established the groove. We've established the piano part. We've established what Annie Lennox is doing vocally, at least at the very beginning. We've established the bass and we've established the strings, which are some of the main uh, ingredients of this song. So let's listen from the very beginning up to that first verse, and then we'll get into the verse and just pay attention for all of that. Listen for the octaves in the piano. Listen for that interesting synch- patient on the way they move through the chord progression listen to lennox's vocals how she's singing mostly down the octave with a single up the octave part listen for the entrance of the bass and how the bass just kind of matches the piano and string part and listen for the drum programming on that groove okay ears on here we go It's time to get into the first verse.
1: You were the sweetest thing that I ever knew. But I don't care for sugar, honey, If I can't have.
0: So the verse is where Walking on Broken Glass gets into the kind of study and contrasts thing that I was talking about, the thing that makes it sort of similar to Madonna's Like a Prayer. Um, This song follows a pretty standard uh, song form. There's a verse, there's a pre-chorus, there's a chorus, then there's another verse, another pre-chorus, and another chorus, then there's a bridge, which leads into another verse, then a pre-chorus, and then a chorus out. It's about as straightforward as it can get, which is nice because it frees us up to just focus on the particulars of how each of those sections uh, differs from the last time that they played and what new elements they bring in each time they go to it. So the thing that happens in the verse is the first half of the phrase is a wide open harmony with one chord and a nice open feeling to the melody that then contracts on itself when that riff, you know, the piano part with the strings, repeats during the second half of the phrase. So it's kind of like a call and a response. There's a call, which is this nice open chord with a melody over it, and then the response is a return home to that piano string riff. Listen to the first phrase from the first verse, and you'll hear what I'm talking about. You the
1: sweetest thing that I
0: knew. So, open. But I
1: don't care. Sugar home. And riff. I can't you.
0: Now the riff that's playing is just the chords. It's not that more complicated sort of quasi Montuno octaves riff that Lennox plays at the beginning. It's just the chords. It's more that we've got one big open chord for two measures that then contracts into a much faster thing that moves between the one, the four, and the five the way that it does whenever the riff is playing. You yeah, were the sweetest thing that I
1: am new But I don't care if I should honey If I can't have
0: now there's all kinds of ear candy going on in there and in this song in general. When I say ear candy, I just mean a lot of it is stuff in the drum machine or just samples that are played. There's this shimmering symbol that plays over that open chord in the verse. There's a lot of just nice little bouncy light, um, sort of high frequency, not very substantial sounds that play throughout this song that are all really, really neat. I'll try to highlight some as we go, though of course there's a whole bunch of them. I don't know what's making all of them, um, but listen for that shimmer. I really like it. It's This just kind of symbol shimmer that plays during the verse on that open chord. It's a little like a wind chime, though. I do think that it's some sort of a drum machine effect. And there's also, even in that phrase there, at the end of the second phrase in the verse, there's this kind of pitch bend that happens with the strings, where everything is dropped all at once in an unnatural way. Right here. It's a really nice way to set up that riff, just having it be like meow no 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 it's light it's subtle there's a lot of that kind of stuff in this track and it's fun to keep an ear out for all of it now the harmony in this verse is actually also doing something cool this first chord this open chord it's kind of a c over f it's like an f major seven you could call it it sounds to me like a c triad stacked over an f and that gives it this nice open spacious feeling that stands in really direct contrast to the tightness of the chords as they move through that faster progression and those are just moving in triads one four one four one five you know, it's moving pretty tightly, that then when you go blam and things open up on that uh, C over F, you know, the sort of F major seven sound, it is a really significant shift and very clear to the listener that we're in a new section.
1: All
0: right, time for the pre-chorus.
1: Since you were back
0: I love this pre-chorus a lot. It's kind of a textbook pre-chorus in a lot of ways, and that's sort of what makes me like it. It has a couple of new elements that that are added to this recording to, to give a new flavor. The first of which is, of course, a minor chord. This begins on an A minor, We're uh, in the key of C. A minor is the relative minor, very common minor chord that you'll see in the key of C. You know, harmonically, like I said, this song does not reinvent the wheel or anything. There's not a lot of really crazy harmonies, though there are some cool ones, like I was talking before, like that C over F. There's some really nice stuff like that. It's just applied very uh, judiciously, like a spice to add a slightly different texture. But a lot of the time you're in the sort of one, six, four, five territory that a lot of pop songs hang out in. Of course, the devil is in the details, though in this case, it's a little bit more like the magic is in the details because it's all those little things that make this song special. So if the verse has been kind of ping-ponging between this open, you know, four major seven chord and then the chord progression, that riff chord progression that moves really quickly between one, four, and five, that's kind of a ping-ponging feeling, the pre-chorus definitely feels like it's somewhere new. It lands on this A minor chord, and it's very clear that we're in a new section of the song.
1: Since you were
0: So we hit that minor chord and we're in a new sort of emotional space. And also, just as crucially, the lyrics match up with that. She sings, since you've abandoned me, my whole life has crashed. It's, you know, the first few verses are implying that she's been left. You know, you were the sweetest thing that I ever knew, but I don't care for sugar if I can't have you. But now we hit this minor chord. and She says, since you've abandoned me, my whole life has crashed. So that kind of grounds the whole song in the emotional reality of the narrator. And it's also where we get this first minor chord in this much more dramatic chord progression.
1: Since you were bad with me.
0: The thing that happens at the beginning of this pre-chorus that I love is this is where the electric guitar comes in, maybe with some chorus on it. It's a classic sound, and it just it adds this nice amount of drama with a big open A minor chord, which is also a very nice uh, chord on a standard-tuned guitar.
1: Since you were
0: take you through that whole chord progression it starts with that a minor which then goes up to a c major then it goes to an f and then it resolves back to c and then it does a classic walk down or at least i call this a walk down where it goes from c major and then walks down to a minor so it goes c b a minor this is a super common sound um this song obviously was written on piano annie lennox is a piano player but this is also something that you'll hear on guitar a lot i don't know it's like in that one uh, shin song new slang they do a big walk down from c to a minor right here gold teeth and the curse for this town it's a great song. So it's a walk down that works really well on guitar because when you're playing in C major, you can really naturally walk down from a C to a B to an A and then be playing A minor. You can also keep that third above it by letting the string above it ring, which they also do on walking on broken glass. So it just gives it this very classic sound. It's something you learn to just hear because it's a very, very common chord progression, a sort of walk down from C major to A minor.
1: Since you were bad. In me right here. The
0: The second half of the pre-chorus, slightly different chord progression and does a nice little thing where it, it does a nice build up. It goes to that A minor after the walk down from C major, then it goes down to E minor, then up to F major. And then up to G so by going E F G it's kind of moving up the C major scale which gives a sort of feeling of ascension building to that G chord to the 5 chord that then resolves to the chorus so listen to just those bars and listen for that chord progression how it goes down to the E then to the F and then to the G before resolving two other things to listen for that we're about to talk about the backup vocals do something very nice here and the strings do something very nice as well so listen for two nice things from the backup vocals and the strings
1: Won't you be
0: I love that setup to the chorus, the way that the vocals descend and then the strings ascend and then they land on the chorus. It's a really immaculate little setup. It's very, very nice. Let's go over what they're doing. So for starters, there's the vocals. So the main vocal melody is up on a G. And I say that's the main melody because it's centered, it's most forward in the mix. It's clearly what the lead vocal part of Annie Lex's many vocal parts is singing. And it's just on a G. It sounds kind of like this. So that's the lead part, it stays in place mostly on that G
1: feels just like I'm
0: but there's this really nice back of vocal that comes in and sings a descending line starting right below it on an F and that part sounds like this. They just match the vocals. Feels just like I'm walking on. And that's really it. It kind of ends right on walking on, but it sounds super cool when you put them together like this. Cause it feels just like I'm walking on,
1: broken.
0: So, obviously, this isn't the register I would sing this song in if I were covering it. Let's listen to Annie Lennox sing it, and this time, really listen for those backup vocals, singing that descending line that moves in a really cool contrast to that single note that she's singing in the lead part. Cool. So the other thing to listen for, of course, as I mentioned, is the strings, which play this great ripping scale going up right after the vocal harmony. So it's like the harmony is seeing that bum, 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 bum. And right from there, they kind of hand off to the strings. The strings pick it up and do this beautiful rip straight up that G scale leading into the C to resolve it on the chorus. Let's listen through. We'll keep going into the chorus this time, but just listen for those backup vocals descending and then the way that they hand off to the strings, which pick it up and then ascend. up the scale into the chorus. a good chorus because we've heard it before, right? This song kind of begins with the chorus. You can call this section the chorus. It's not like a traditional chorus in some senses, but this is the chorus. Um, but it also acts as this kind of new energy point for the song. In the verse, they went down to that open chord. They kind of built it up, but it wasn't playing the full piano riff. You know, it was just playing that chord progression. Then the pre-chorus goes to minor and does this like steady build, steady build. Then into those backup vocals, then the strings that then lead us into the chorus. And this chorus arrives and it's a little. Bit higher energy than it was at the beginning, both because of what Lennox is singing, you know, she's going up to those high ooze in the middle of the chorus, but also because there's one new instrument in, and that is, of course, the electric guitar. So the guitar is just kind of in here, grooving out over there on that C and it's really nice it adds a nice texture just like it does during the pre-chorus you can hear him sometimes he kind of like goes up and kind of digs in a little bit so it's really nice guitar playing there's a couple of credited guitar players on this record uh Stephen Lipson the producer actually could be him probably is him could also be Kenji Suzuki who is playing guitar as well on this album So let's listen to the chorus again and pay attention for everything that's going on. It's pretty much all ingredients that we've covered, so you should be able to hear everything if you really get your ears on. So we're kind of bouncing back and forth between versions of that quick chord progression. There's the one that's just chords. There's the one that has that cool octaves piano part on it that comes in every other time. The vocals are singing that walking on broken glass line, kind of mixed down in the mix. And then Annie Lennox comes in with the lead part, just sort of singing ooze up high above there. There's also the guitar in, kind of rocking out. The hand claps and the drums are fully in. The strings and synths are playing as well. And it's a sort of a culmination of the song so far. And what I want you to listen for, in addition to all of that, is how, as they transition into the second verse, the energy level Stays pretty high. And try to see if you can hear what it is that they're doing to keep the energy level up. We'll break it down, but just see what you hear and notice how the energy level stays pretty high as they go into the second verse instead of reverting back to where things were at the start of the first
1: verse.
0: Here comes the second verse. The sun I love that. I love the start of the second verse in this song. I think it's so clever. Here's why. They're doing something a little bit different on that first chord of the second verse. Instead of playing that C over F, the sort of F major 7 sound that they've done, you know, on the first verse and that they'll do even in the second phrase of this verse and on the next verse as well. This is the only time they deviate. But instead of playing that F major 7 sound, they play an A minor here. So it's a different chord. And this is the only time this happens at this point in the verse. But the big Open chord before they go back into that kind of tighter groove on the second verse is an A minor chord. a subtle change that no one would even notice. I never noticed it until I sat down to play it on piano, but it totally elevates this section and it just makes it feel more dramatic. There's also the fact that it matches beautifully with the lyrics. She's singing, the sun's still shining in the big blue sky, but it don't mean nothing to me because what she's saying is it's beautiful outside, but I'm just so sad that you've left me that, you know, that doesn't even matter. So by hitting an A minor as you're singing, the sun's still shining in the big blue sky, minor chord but a beautiful image that, of course, doesn't actually matter when you're as heartbroken as the narrator of this song is. They are also doing a couple of musical things with the arrangement to keep the energy level up. One is that the bass is playing kind of steady eighth notes on that A minor. And there's also what's happening in the backup vocals, which is just super tasty, killer backup vocals in this section, too. Listen one more time. Listen for both of those things. Pay attention to what the bass is doing and to what the backup vocals are doing. They're pretty high up. I'll tell you that much. You hear those backup vocals? They're really high. They come in halfway through the phrase and it's this like and they end on a little like where it goes up in brass writing anyway. That's kind of called a doit. It's a way of landing on a note as you jump upward. Boit? Like, kind of like that. And it's a really cool way to land on a downbeat just because it implies this upward motion and this bounciness that sort of keeps things moving. It's another great way that they're keeping the energy up. The sun's still shining in the blue, blue
1: sky.
0: So that's cool enough on its own. But then in the second half of the phrase, they kind of do the opposite thing, and the piano and the bass kind of walk down as she sings a note. Oh. So if that first phrase was the sort of build up, the second phrase is the come down. They're back on that F major 7, the C over F sound. Like I said, that A minor only happens that one time at the start of the second verse. But in the second phrase, they're back to the F and you'll notice the band, the piano and the bass both walk down and the backup vocals also go down and resolve in a much more sort of down place at the end of the second phrase. Listen to it and keep an ear out for that. It's such a perfect little musical journey, it starts on that A minor, the vocals are in that very high place, they resolve to that doit, Annie is singing, and then they go into it again, but they're back on the F, and then things come down, so we kind of climb, and then we descend, and it's just this little eight-bar phrase, and it works so, so well. Another reason that it works so well is the lyrics, so I mentioned that when she sings, the sun's still shining in the big blue sky, but it don't mean nothing to me, that's on the way up, the sun's still shining in the big blue sky, right, this very, like, bright, happy lyric but it don't mean nothing to me. And then when they go back to the F and they begin to descend, she sings, oh, let the rain come down, let the wind blow through me. And that brings things back down. So it's even in the lyrics, this wonderful way up and then back down. I also have to say, I just love the imagery of the wind blowing through someone, of someone being so heartbroken and hollowed out that the wind is blowing through them. It's obviously a sad thing, usually tied to sad memories for people, but it's also so poignant and such a beautiful image. And it also also happens to call back to one of my favorite songs ever written.
1: She said, "Losing love is like a window in your heart. Everybody sees you're blown apart. Everybody sees the wind blow."
0: was Annie Lennox listening to a lot of Paul Simon's Graceland as she worked on the lyrics for Walking on Broken Glass? We may never know. Maybe she had just seen Die Hard and thought she'd write a song about it. But I love that imagery. I think it's really poignant and beautiful. I love it in Graceland and I love it in Walking on Broken Glass. So I want you to listen to that entire verse now. This is a wonderful verse. The second verse, really quite a verse. And just listen to everything in it. It starts on a minor, the way that it builds up, the doits in the background vocals, the way that they keep the intensity up and then that that second phrase, the second half of the verse, they go back to the F, and then the piano and the bass kind of walk down, and the whole thing comes back down. It's basically just a trip up a hill, and then a trip back down a hill. The sun's still in the big blue sky, but it don't mean
1: nothing to me. Oh, let the rain down, let the wind blow through
0: Alright, second pre-chorus. I'm living
1: in a The windows but I've got so left to lose that it Feels just like walking
0: the Couple of cool things in that second pre-chorus. The main one is that the vocal arrangement is a little bit different. So let's just listen to that setup to the second chorus and pay attention to what the vocals are doing. Remember, the first time it sounded like this. so listen to what the backup vocals do the second time
1: and
0: They go way higher, right? But it's a much more intense kind of wailing backup part. Feels just like I broke it, in that kind of uh, in that kind of register, and it has a way more intense feeling to it because we're in a higher energy place. This song really is a steady crescendo, even though it repeats sections. So in the first pre-chorus over the same chords, remember the backup vocals sing this. In the second pre-chorus before the second chorus, they're singing this. Way higher energy, right? And it's kind of subtle. It's not necessarily the kind of thing that the average listener would just notice. It doesn't jump out at you the way that a completely new instrument or a completely new section would. It's subtle, but it adds so much energy and intensity to the second time through. And that's what this song does so well. It's just so immaculately crafted that you don't always notice the effect it's having on you. You're just being kind of carried along by it. Speaking of little things, I love that little bass dive bomb. Boo! as it goes into the into that second chorus. It's another thing that just only happens there. Really nice. I always love a good bass dive bomb. Sounds super good. Boom, boom, boom. So that little bass dive bomb along with that more intense string buildup lands us in the second chorus. Now the second chorus is interesting primarily because it's a lot shorter than the first chorus. It's uh, half the length and it's mostly just kind of a transition point into the bridge. So rather than listening to that chorus by itself, I mean, you know it, it's when she sings walking on, walking on broken glass, rather than listening to it on its own, I want to back up actually, listen to that pre-chorus one more time and just pay attention to those many subtle little changes to that second pre-chorus, particularly toward the end You know where the backup vocals go up higher, where the bass does that dive bomb, where the strings play a slightly more aggressive version of that rip up the C major scale. Pay attention for all of that And also listen to the lyrics Because, man, the lyrics of this song are really, really good This is one of my favorite lyrics in it Is when she sings I'm living in an empty room with all the windows smashed I mean, what an evocative image What a great lyric She's such a good lyricist In addition to being such a great singer and songwriter Okay, so here's the whole pre-chorus Leading into the shortened second chorus And then leading into the bridge I'm living in an empty
1: room
0: So this bridge, uh, so the bridge changes keys for starters. We're in the key of C. This song is in the key of C, but the bridge is in the key of F. So it goes into the four chord. And to do that, it lands on a big D minor, first of all. So it starts with this D minor. Then it goes to a B flat major, kind of the sharp four, which is a very unusual sound for this song, which has been moving around in the key of C up until now. It goes to a D minor, then a B flat, and then it resolves to F. As it does that, there's a bunch of nice ear candy happening all around the listener in the left channel and in the right channel. So listen again. Pay attention for those three chords, D minor to B flat to F. Listen to what Annie is singing, but also listen to all of these nice sounds that are happening in the left and right channels. easy for your ear to pick out all of these nice little shimmers and, and shines that are added and part of the reason for that is that the groove has actually changed. If you've been paying attention to the Strong Song's thump, pop, sizzle analysis, you may have noticed that there is no pop happening on the bridge. It's just that kick drum and some sizzle from some various cymbal sounds. And that actually makes the whole thing feel more spacious, which makes it easier to notice all the nice little extras that they've added. So the first two things I want to direct your ears to are happening in the left channel and in the right channel. In the left channel, there's just this nice fifth happening in a sort of electric piano sound. The thing is, the notes are a C and a G, which would be 1 and 5 in the key of C. but remember, this bridge is an F, so it's actually not in the key of the bridge. Um, it works in the key of the bridge, but it's not 1 and 5 in the key of the bridge, which actually kind of dovetails really well with the thing that's happening over in the right channel. But if you listen just through the chord progression to that 5th, the C and the G, first, if you play it over a D minor, you're playing the 7th and the 11th, Then if you play it over that B-flat, you're playing the ninth and the 13th. And then if you play it over that final chord, over the F, you're playing the 5th and the ninth. So it's nice. It's it's a 5th in the main key of the song. It doesn't sound super dissonant or anything, but it's turning each harmony into a slightly more interesting version of itself. The other thing that's happening is over in the right channel, there's this cool sound that I think is some kind of a synth that's just going from an E to an F and it just repeats over and over again sort of similar to the C and the G um, irrespective of what the chord is there's just that E and that F over in the right channel Those are just two little elements that they've added to this bridge, but between them they actually really kind of liven up the harmony, because the E and the F are also sort of more interesting tones than you would expect. In the D minor and E and an F, that's the 9 and the minor 3rd, then in the B flat that's a sharp 4 and a 5, and then in F that's a major 7 and a 1. So again, it's bringing out these kind of more interesting harmonies than you would just have if you played D minor, B flat major, F major. Listen to the first couple of phrases of the bridge again and just pay attention for those two things. Listen in the right for that synth sound, and over in the left for that piano fifth, that electric piano, just repeating the C and the G, and pay attention to how those notes sort of change depending on the context of the chord that's being played at any given moment. And if you try- I love this electric piano here too.
1: There's
0: another nice thing happening here in the kind of extremities of the mix on the left and the right. There's this sort of synth with a kind of a kind of happening, um, just like a wah wah thing, but I think it's a keyboard and it's just bouncing around very lightly on top of everything else. And it, you know, it's very much the definition of ear candy. It comes in here,
1: and if you want to hurt me, there's nothing left to fear. Yeah, because if you to hurt me,
0: and then it's time for the strings to bring us home. Those backup vocals. Now
1: the pain is cut to be. So take me from the wreckage. Save me from the blast. Lift me up
0: and take me. Back and now it's time for the extended cadence. This song is just, it's so good. Um, I love that extended cadence into the final chorus. That whole final verse is really great as well. The lyrics are so good because they're this great mix of desperation and weird optimism. Every one of us was made to suffer. Every one of us is made to weep. We've been hurting one another and now the pain is cut too deep. So take me from the wreckage, save me from the blast. Lift me up and take me back. Don't let me keep on walking on broken glass. It's funny because it feels a little optimistic even though this is a very desperate and sort of anguished song, at least lyrically, and then musically it's also so upbeat and kind of pulsing forward that it's hard not to read it in some ways as a weirdly hopeful song. Though I don't know, maybe that's just me struggling to reconcile the music and the lyrics, which do not need to be reconciled and actually are maybe more interesting if they don't reconcile at all. So the last thing that I really love is just that build into the final chorus, the way that they extend that five chord, they just sit on that G, the backup vocals bounce back and forth with Annie Lennox's lead vocals and they just keep singing Don't Let Me Keep on Walking in this kind of cycling, rhythmically undulating way that really gets you going. I mean, they give it another couple bars than they even need to to really build up the tension so that when we arrive at that final groove, we all really arrive there together. So- From here it's just a jam. Everybody's in. The hand claps are in. That electric guitar is getting in there and they they kind of just have a party all the way out. great song, what a great ending, and at this point I really have just come around on fade-outs, both studio fade-outs and even live fade-outs, I just sort of like them, I like the idea of the song playing on forever. And man, there really aren't that many other songs that play on forever for me in the way that Walking on Broken Glass does, the way that this song is in my head and is just kind of always stuck in my head, and I'm guessing the way that maybe this piano part will be stuck in some of your heads as well for a little while after listening to this episode. I'm sorry, but you know, I'm not really that sorry. I will never stop hearing that piano part. I'll never stop following it with that string part. I'll never stop hearing Annie Lennox sing that refrain, and I'll never get this song out of my head. An anguished sentiment in a song that is anything but, written by an artist who knew just how to mix familiar sounds in a way that sounded anything but familiar. And that's Annie Lennox for you. Master singer, master songwriter, and undeniably, one of the greats. And that'll do it for my analysis of Annie Lennox's Walking on Broken Glass. I had a great time making this episode, and I hope that you all enjoyed it. Thanks for spreading the word about Strong Songs. Please keep telling people about the show. Go follow Strong Songs on Twitter, at Strong Songs. And of course, send me any questions or anything else at strongsongspodcast at gmail.com. Do check out that new Strong Songs playlist. It's a pretty focused thing, and I think would be a fun listen for anybody who has listened to the show. And of course, find out more about how to support me making this show at patreon.com slash songs. Also, I have a newsletter. I send out a newsletter every month or so. It's just got music recommendations, that kind of thing. So if you want to sign up for that, there is a link in the show notes. This episode's outro soloist is the fabulous Portland keyboard player Galen Clark. So stick around for Galen, and I'll be back in two weeks with yet another strong song.